All right, and welcome to our very first podcast. We have Pastor Icky of uh, La Sierra University Church or University? University Church. University Church with us today. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. It's good to be here with you, Kev. We got to meet um, this past summer at a camp meeting in BC where you were the speaker for the wave and I was playing some bass guitar. Mm-hmm. And I thought, hmm. Not a bad speaker. Maybe we'll continue talking. Or maybe I'm just jealous of your hair. I haven't figured it out. (laughs) For those of you who may not see, we've got the same exact hair today. (laughs) (laughs) I wish. This baldness is not a choice. (laughs) So on this podcast, we're, we're addressing and looking at identity. And I'm having guests and people that have more than just the typical white Adventist identity, like myself, people that bring in something else. And I've, and I've wondered how does that fit with the thick Adventist culture identity? It's haystacks. It's certain way of, Mm. of seeing the way we tell our stories, which are often tied into, you know, how the church started very American context. So seeing that as a Canadian on the outside, wondering, you know, through the friends I've made that bring in different foods, different um, ways of thinking to your story at camp meeting where you're wearing that bed sheet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True story. You might, yeah. you might have to reshare that. Like, I wonder, <laughs> you know, can that fit in Adventism? Is Adventism big enough? Is there a negotiation process you've gone through? Do you just say, screw it, I'm part of this church, but I'm this culture first? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm wondering what what would be your identity statement? Yeah, very good question, Kevin. It's interesting because Adventism jumped in on the frontier in the uh, late 1800s for the 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 missionary race, right? Yeah. Colonization. I mean, the uh, missionary work of the globe, and um, so they took off and came on right down to the South Pacific. And a lot of great work there. In fact, I'm I'm something like sixth, seventh generation Adventist. Uh, we were a part of that early movement. My my grandparents' grandparents. Um, so if you go around the globe, you'll recognize Adventism um, because there are just certain things that we share, i.e., haystacks, yeah, um, Sabbath day. You know th- those kind of things tie us all together, and also. Um, a little bit of what it looks like to be Adventist has been modeled to us by a very Euro-American evangelical framework. So everyone has kind of had to figure that out. Like, do I fit in here? What does a pastor look like? Quote unquote. Um, how do we dress? And, and, you know, who do we marry? Is it a teacher or nurse? So on and so forth. Um, well, I came to the United States in the early eighties. And I've had the wonderful and most amazing privilege of being an undocumented immigrant for the majority of my life here in the U.S. So, and I say it's a privilege because it forced me to see my identity very differently than I would have liked to see it growing up. I I would have liked to find a more, uh, more practical way of fitting in, right? But (laughs) I couldn't. And so what I was left with is that I had to literally live in my own skin. Now, either that was okay to do and okay to be that, or it was unacceptable and I'm going to have to somehow shed. Since I could not shed 
my identity. The only other option I had was to believe that it's okay and good to be in my own skin and be Adventist. Yeah, and that's, that yeah, and that's the process I, I'm, I'm very curious to understand because I grew up just with a very thin Adventist culture and that was it, right? My background is German and Irish, which <laughs> yeah. doesn't speak much more than potatoes and drinking and sausages, which I right. grew up a vegetarian. So, I mean, all that's cut out except the potatoes. So, you know, and being undocumented immigrant. So how was that modeling into how you viewed yourself? Did you go to Adventist um, like schools your whole life or no? I did. I, I, I went all the way from uh, kindergarten up into high school. I went to a four-year boarding school. And then after that, went to uh, Adventist College. And then after that, to Adventist University. Yeah, so the majority of my life academic um, journey has been through Adventism. Um, and it was, I never really saw anyone like myself up front. Now, here's kind of the, this is the kind of weird balance I had to walk. I was Tongan, but we didn't. Um, go to a Tongan church. We lived in the city, so that made me very urban. Um, but, you know, the urban city of LA, um, either you're African American or you're Hispanic, I was neither of those. And um, the church was full of white people, and I was not that. So finding a place and a way to be was kind of tricky. So I just kind of adapted to my space around me. And, you know, I came home, and everyone in my home were, were Tongans, and they spoke Tongan or my aunts and uncles when they came over. But in the world that I lived in, there were not very many Tongans. So um, finding identity example? was tricky. Yeah, could you give an example of, what do you mean by adaption? Like, what were you adapting? Yeah, so like, um, what was culturally normative at home and what was culturally normative outside of the home was very diff different. And I didn't know that initially. In fact, um, hence the story of me when I went to uh, the first time I went to spend the night at a friend's house and um, it was my sophomore year, junior year in high school, something like that. Um, and they left a sheet out. It was it was a sheet for a dresser drawer. But, it, it, you know, growing up in my home, when my dad came home, he would come and put it out. It would call it lava lava. He put it on. And that's how, you know, most of the men dressed in our home. Like we'd come home and we'd put these on and we'd relax. So I thought that's what it was. And I actually put this bad boy on and came <laughs> downstairs for dinner. And people were like, what is happening right now? <laughs> right. So, um, so, so like living and learning and adapting has been a great portion of my early childhood development. Um, and that also, I, I didn't see any Tongans preaching to me it usually you know our, our pastor was a, a german um gentleman and you know i went to church and that's what i saw so like how do i fit into the space so when i got into college i really was struggling with that i said man i don't know god if you're really calling me here and when i really felt that deep sense of calling um i really felt a sense of peace about me being myself it was as if god said icky i absolutely need you to just be you and if you can be you, I can use you. And if you're not, it's just not going to work for me. So. so were you feeling a bit of a tension between, you know, we could claim or state, you know, the white Jesus. I've, I've talked, I've taught quite a few students through that thinking, I actually have a shirt that says break up with white Jesus. I know, you know, <laughs> some of the artwork and those things is like, Jesus was white. I mean, <laughs> the BBC even did a comedy sketch on it and all these things. 
So what what was the the pieces that you're trying to figure out? Because it, if it took you to get to college to feel that it was yourself, what was it like in high school and teenage years where you didn't feel like yourself? Yeah, I, well, if any if anyone listening grew up with Uncle Arthur books, <laughs> <laughs> you, you know you know what it's like to have uh, white biblical characters. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and of course that was a part of our that was a part of our our growth right that was part of what we saw and what we heard and so oftentimes you'd imagine this in your mind and I was never a troublemaker like you know I've gotten into trouble and I've I've made foolish decisions in my life but I've never been one of those like this is my lifestyle kind of human being so I've always tried to live up to a particular standard which was very hard because you can only do so much to look like and be like a group of people yeah. and then there's a point where you can no longer because you're just not it's just yeah. not possible um so growing up i was a model student you know i i grew up in a home where i did my best to be straight and right and high school I did the same and when i saw someone step out of place or look different somebody who looked heterodoxy as you would say man like the 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 judgment i would feel for them how could they look like that and say that they love god i mean look at what all i'm doing and then i begin to experience life in my own skin being pulled over and i'm like wait why are you judging what i um, i'm i'm a good person and then it, it's it's this so this like ball starts to roll man like um what have i been doing to others that others are doing to me and now that i'm seeing it it creates a sense of empathy because we're in the same place. Interesting. So you, you was it like you were building yourself a wall of okay, I'm going to act this way so I can fit into this, which isn't necessarily reflecting my Tongan, you know, skin color, language, these things. And so yeah. you're almost like doubling up on what it meant to be Adventist. And then when people stepped out of that, it's. So you're almost yeah. buying yourself into something as a way to fit in. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so we call it code switching, right? You you knew yeah. how to talk a certain way around certain people, and then you could talk a certain way around another group of people. And it gets to the place where you forget who you really are. Yeah. <laughs> I've been I've been talking with this uh, urbanized um, accent for so long. And then when I'm in the church, I'm talking with this very Anglo, you know, clean, uh, pronouncing things correctly accent. I don't even know what my own voice sounds like. And that's the tragedy is when you lose your own sense of voice and your own sense of, of skin and being inside the church. Uh, but when you grow up out of that space, it's so empowering because you, you, you rediscovered again and you realize, yo, like, my way of doing something in Jesus is just as powerful and valuable as that individual's way. And it's not wrong to be a, um, a middle-aged white male pastor. It's, that's beautiful. And also it is beautiful to be me as a pastor. And we can, we can do this together. Like there's, there's space for all of us. The problem is when we, we get to, um, you know, when, when the space becomes very homogenous. Yeah. We, we, crew, we, we have clear delineated lines. This is exactly what it means to be a certain way. And, um, and then anything outside of that is, is clearly unsacred. It's clearly incorrect. It's bad. Um, but it, I, but that, that, that song, that hymn, they always reminds me in this very room, there's quite enough love 
for all of us. Like there's, there should be enough space here for you and I and all of us to do and thrive and be well. Well, I was wondering what would be an example of the Tongan way, because, you know, you as a pastor growing up in this um, system of the church, what, what do you recognize now as, you know, this is, this is the Tongan in me coming out? Yeah, it's, the, it's storytelling. Tongans are very, we're, as a cultural people, very story based, right? We come and we sit together in circles and we talk and we laugh and we cry, like, and we experience a full range of our emotions, men and women. Like, you know, everyone is, everyone is able to dig into that space. And, and I think that's something that I've, I highly appreciated because growing up in the American church, emotions were kind of seen as evil or wrong, especially in Adventism. We're very cognitive people. Yeah. You know, sentimentality is not our thing. If we're honest, <laughs> we're just not good at it. Um, uh, so we, we try to make everything about what we can think on. Um, what we can read about in the Bible. And then we compare it with our own numbers and we do this. And so when we do that, we're kind of insular from our emotions. And so I've always felt like, man, um, growing up, I saw my dad crying all the time. I saw my mom getting angry all the time. And it all came out at worship. <laughs> There'd be tears and anger and laughter and forgiveness and confession. And we'd walk away and our spirits just felt good together. But when I'd go to the church, you don't show any emotions. Don't clap, don't laugh, sit still, dress right, and then come home and then let your emotions out. And I've just found that across, as I've embraced that in myself, I'm able to really begin to feel and be okay with story and letting God like peer through to the people through my own experiences. And that, and that in itself is a beautiful thing. So I've just leaned into it and I think everyone has Everyone that I have had the opportunity to minister with and to have appreciated that they, they, they're, they're okay with it. And I think it also grants permission to release some, maybe some, uh, toxic masculinity, um, some ideas that we might have about like what it means to be emotional. And so with you mentioned, and I've seen the same thing, the, the emotional piece. So did you as a teenager have? A disconnect with your your friends being emotionalists and then your parents being over emotional and was that part of your code switching you had to do so interestingly because it was so safe in my home to to share our emotions and to feel our emotions whatever those were i just kind of always was like that um i didn't cry so much in public but i was always like you know if I, you know if I'm, I'm happy i'm happy and you know i was able to share that and just kind of live in that space but yeah like um, definitely crying was even to, to this day, but not as much as when I was young. Um, there's a real sense of vulnerability that he, I think human beings, we just don't like feeling like if you're out there and you're like, yeah, I don't like to show crying or you're not alone. None of, I don't, I don't, I don't think it comes natural to us because it's so vulnerable. Um, so I had to learn to get to a place where I was okay with being vulnerable in public and, and, and just recognizing that there's a strength there from that and being okay with that. Yeah. I think that's very much a, a big piece that, you know, that you brought up too, because Adventists, we, we like the head game. Mm. We love the formula, formula, looking at things, figuring mm. it all out. We don't like the messiness of emotion. And so when you oh. have other, other cultures that bring in the fullness of what it means to be a person, including emotions yeah. we see how that can rub you know 
the the crowd that sits never claps maybe stands when they're told sits when they're told <laughs> yeah right yeah. <laughs> you know you don't put your hands up those kind of things <laughs> right yeah exactly right? exactly you, you're told what page to look at what verse you're singing and yeah so that that's something that's kind of, that's kind of how i grew up a little bit i had a very huggy mother so the emotional part you know we were loud but the church was very set structured yeah. this is what it means you know yeah. so i can see how that can put at odds where you want to express yourself now with, with the expression piece not just emotion did you ever feel like you couldn't express being Tongan through art, certain songs, your language? What about those? I I think I had to grow into being more expressively Tongan because I grew up in in the city, so most of my friends and my not, most of my friends weren't Tongan. You know, so we listened to a lot of hip hop and R&B and, you know, that was where my headspace was. And then I went to a boarding school where a good portion of the individuals there were um, were Caucasian or Asian um, with the minority set of us that were, um, you know, people of color. I mean, Asians are, but, you know, like black and or Tongan and um, from the city, because many of many of our Adventists families live in more rural spaces coming from the city was more rare um so i i found a sense of belonging there by fitting in and you know being a part of, of that space and um it was probably in my young adulthood i i had a couple cousins who were nearby who every time they involved me in whatever they were doing it just felt so it felt like home you know, there was something there that was so beautiful and so deep that I was like, I, I want that and I want to be that. And it wasn't until my freshman year in college where there were uh, a group of Tongans there who embraced me, who we ate together, we, we hung out, that I really felt like, wow, there's a sense of, I don't want to say pride, but there was a real sense of like, this is, yeah, I'm here. This is, this is us. And it's okay to be me fully like me. And that was nice because I think like, as I embraced that, others also like embraced that I was okay and good with who I am fully. Yeah. And I, I've seen the same thing happen. I mean, I take that same approach when I'm teaching middle school is, you know, if I can nerd out about Star Wars, then they can nerd out yeah. about their thing. So I, you know, I can see how being safe and comfortable with yourself gives space for others to do the same thing. And that's kind of the next stage of questions I was wondering too. You know, you're a pastor. You've yeah. moved on to being the person up front, being the person speaking, being the person calling in all these epic moments as you had a camp meeting. So how have you seen that inclusiveness or not happen, right? Going from high school, university, where you're part of something to now where you're creating that space, you're leading that. How, is, how have you found that happen? Great question, Kevin. Uh, so very important because gr growing in my ministerial profession, I'm, I, I think every pastor is kind of tempted to be like, I need to look more pastorish, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> I need to, I need to look like my profession. But what that does unintentionally or maybe intentionally for some, but what it does is that, um, it does not give anyone else there who's following your lead an example or a model that they can be themselves. Yeah. 
and be used by God. If we continue to look the same and speak the same and, you know, and create a sense of hierarchy uh, in our positioning, um, then people who people won't gravitate to it if they feel like they can't achieve that. I just happened to move into this position because I feel like I couldn't be anything else. And, and because I, so I had to choose like, am I going to stay in or is God appreciate my, my, me and my skin? And because I made that decision, but people don't often get that. Right. Cause they're like, well, I have other options. I'm just not going to come or yeah. I'm just not going to go into ministry. So I have been really intentional about keeping my, my physical identity and um, who I am as much as possible. Etiquette is imperative. So when I go to wed- weddings, you know, I, I wear a suit, funerals, I wear a suit. Um, but here on the front platform, you know, my, for those who are watching may have never met me, my hair is long and it's like, you know, it's very curly, very thick. <laughs> it's, it's Tongan. Um, if you see me, I'm usually wearing maybe jeans or something and maybe a button up shirt. Um, and that's how I preach. I preach in my own skin. I tell my stories from my cultural space um, because I believe that as I model that, there are other little ones out there who are watching and say, wow, if that individual is being used by God, I can be used by God. Yeah. Representation matters. Have you ever preached wearing the um, the bed sheet? <laughs> you know what? Um, I've come to our, since this church, I've come uh, at my old church. Yeah, I used to wear there. Um, so they have, you know, we have more formal ones, right? That And so if you go to a Tongan church, you'll see them wearing lava lavas all the time. Like it's in, it's in fact, it's the cultural church wear. Now I haven't worn it on the pulpit here, not because I, uh, I just haven't had the chance to, but I, I'm going to wear <laughs> one too. I've worn it to church here though, um, a, a, few, a few times now. And, you know, it's, it's, I think someone made an off color joke a little bit like, Oh, nice skirt. But I uh, get it because I'm like, because it's not your space and you know, you, that's kind of funny for you. And, but I was not offended at all. In fact, you've got to have a little bit thicker skin if you're going to help people get to a different place. So that's, that's very, very true because you're going against, you know, the average, you're going against the, the normal Adventist thing, which is, you know, calling back yeah. to why I wanted to do this podcast because I recently got married to a Filipino. Hey, you're also married to a Filipino. So, hey. Yeah, so this little white boy who I've been to the Philippines twice, and now that I live with a Filipino on a daily basis, and it's right there, I've never eaten so much rice and noodles <laughs> in my life before. That's right. But I, I think part of it is I've loved learning about Filipino culture because it's like you said, it's big family. Yeah, um, I got to wear a barong at my wedding along yeah. with my in-laws. Um, my cousin who did the wedding wore his colorful barong. And so yes. it was just like, you know, this is, you know, having not grown up with a very distinct culture, having one that I get to be included in, it's been really awesome. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that? Yeah. And, you know, there are a lot of Filipino churches, but it, I find it would be hard to integrate into that because I'm not, you know, it's. I don't fully get it. My wife does. She speaks even some. Her her mom's from the northern island, part of the island, and we want to go visit. We want to wear. She's shown me the pictures of nice. you know the traditional thing, and the guys wear kind of just a um, cloth to cover the the yep. certain parts, and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> 
can't quite wear that to church <laughs> <laughs> there's so much beauty in the in the diversity of how all of us as, as human beings um live express and move through life and the only problem is when any one of us as a group begin to think that our way is more sanctified or better yeah. than another that's where we get into problems right like even in adventism adventism is a beautiful way to live life to express faith to, to to share with the world how to live it only becomes problematic when we start policing each other and be like oh you're not adventist enough or yeah. oh you don't do this so you are unsaved that's that's where it gets like really muddy and we have to be careful like there's no problem in loving my culture and loving my people but when my people in my culture um start to take precedence uh, over the life or the the health of other groups of people then then it becomes problematic well and that's that was right into what i wanted to ask too as a canadian looking into american culture which is kind of the foundational birthing place of the church if you will mm. right one of the things known about the states is it's a melting pot so that was one of the questions i wanted to ask you and along with other guests is does Adventism have a bit of that melting pot where this is what it means, whether it's the American piece or the church piece, because looking south of the border, that's what you often hear. You know, you come to this land, like you mentioned, you're an mm -hmm. undocumented immigrant. How dare you steal these jobs? How dare you mm -hmm. not look this way? So that no, comes in. Absolutely. Well, and sorry, I'm going to say that that comes into this idea of how do we have a church that's open enough to do that when I have observed those tendencies as a outsider. First, first thing we've got to recognize is that um, the church, the global church started from North America, the global church, which means there's residue of North America across the globe. There's residue of our traditions, of our ways, of our, um, you know, all of it. In fact, that is why we are so tight as a denomination, right? That is why you can go to Germany or to Samoa or to Japan and pop into an Adventist church and almost immediately feel like you're part of the thing there because it is a very, very distinct group, cultural group. So we got to recognize that right away. Um, the second thing I think that uh, we need to be aware of is that because that is so, there's a lot of toxicity that is in each of our Adventist spaces because of things that we have learned early on. And while theology continues to grow and knowledge continues to grow and we're an ever-changing landscape where we're learning more and learning more about God, in some spaces, the growth has stopped, but we continue to follow a tradition of what we knew 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. So, there's that idea. Um, we see it here in the U.S. through the evangelical churches, right? There's very, you know, you can get trendy and get some really cool music and stuff. Um, and then you hear the word and you realize there's a lot of misogyny in there. There's a lot of uh, bigotry in there. There's a lot of, right, a lot of things that are not of Jesus in it. So just because the space is cool and hip and da -da -da, doesn't make that place more gospel-centered. Yeah. Um, so... You know, we, we take those two things at hand. And that's not to say that our denomination is a bad place. I love the Adventist Church. I mean, 
I mean, if you didn't, you could just leave, right? So yeah. obviously we we love it enough to still be here and be a part of it and help, hope to make it the place that it can be. Um, but it's imperative for us if as being part of the family to recognize those things if we're going to be serious about how to be sustainably good Adventists. Yeah, I think that's that's the exact point too. You know, coming in with the teacher side of it, I've been part of that cultural un- understanding and teaching. My one of my areas is First Nations understanding, and that goes into you know this idea of cultural sensitivity. Or because as a white person, know sometimes you feel sorry that you're white because you're on the bad side of all the colonialism. <laughs> yeah, all the, yeah, yeah. you know, you're like sorry, <laughs> and so you you. You, you're left wondering, how do I engage well? Like, you know, how would I support a Tongan or how would I be part of the solution when I'm white and generally seen as part of the problem? Because I've had people yell at me simply for being white. Mm. And I know they don't know me, but I know they're speaking to something else and I just happen to be yeah. the guy there. Yeah, you happen to be the poster boy for whatever pain that... Yeah. um or that has been triggered. I would say this for sure. We all have at any point, some space of privilege. And um, while you cannot change that, you can use it to be an ally. You can use it to protect and to uplift and to bring people along. And, and um, you know, I've some of my white friends, they, they get that, like that white man guilt, right? Yeah. Because it's a part of your history. Um, because they're not that, and, and but they feel the pain and they're they really remorseful about it. And I always say, look, um, you can't change that any more than I can change being Tongan. But what you can do is use your privilege to speak up for and to come alongside. You never, oh man, there's nothing more comforting and more beautiful than to hear someone in the um, in the dominant culture speak up for you. And make it seem so normative, man. That's the best feeling, man. When they're like, "Oh yeah, absolutely," you know, you're like, "Whoa, what? All right, that's my partner," yeah. you know. So like, learning, listening, and doing. Learning, listening, and doing. Learning, listening, and doing, and just going for it. And along the way, none of us are going to get it perfect. While not everyone is going to have the 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 mindset of being giving grace for mistakes, we can't be afraid to make mistakes along the way. You're going to walk down a, an aisle and say a few things where you think like, I'm, I'm making this situation better. And then everyone <laughs> looks at you like, no, no, you're not. You're making it worse. And you're like, oh, my bad, <laughs> you know? Um, and that's part, that's part uh, and parcel for this journey because we are trying to grow together and to unite. Um, and it's not to unif- it's, it's not to be uniformed. It's to be united. So of course, if we're not uniformed, you're not going to be very, you're not going to know all the things you need to know that looks just like me. But to be united means I'm going to do the work of allying for you and being for you. No, I think that's a very good dif- difference. Uniform versus being united. Mm-hmm. You know, united is more flexible, more gracious, more open. Because when we when we remind ourselves through all the sermons that you know it's about the Holy Spirit that unites us, and if we want to be a global church, that's part of the reason I'm very curious on this is because you're right. Like you can, I've been to the Philippines where it looks like you know I felt right in. Like I know the program structure of this. Yeah, I got I got yelled at for not wearing pants, but other than that, (laughs) 
I'm like, well, it's hot. I'm wearing shorts. They're black. Right. But that wasn't good enough. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but that uniformity, because there seems to be a trend where we need to be the same, right? Yeah. And that I, I wonder if some people draw that line, you know, do you give up certain pieces to be within Adventism? Or do you have to give up certain parts of Adventism? Because working at a university church, I'm sure you have a lot of that. You know, La Sierra is a big university. Hmm. Or the other model I've seen and I wanted to ask you about too is when we have churches, because I, I find it going back to you, your uniform unity part too, when we have churches in the same city separating on cultural lines. Right. So for instance, the church my wife grew up, the Filipino church, is literally 800 meters, so like 800 yards for Americans. Down the road, there's the Ukrainian church. And then three blocks away, there's the Spanish church. And I wonder, too, at the expense of focusing on culture about the greater unity, right? Because I don't, I only speak English, so I can't speak to, you know, going to a church that is my language. I know I can uh, recognize that it's very important. But then there's the part of me where you grow up in a church and then you know, when you're in your teens, you realize there's another Adventist church three blocks away, but they're the Korean church, and you never knew they existed for 16 yeah, years. Right, right. You're right. like, wait, wait, that's my church, yet I never knew about them because they're Korean. Yeah, that's right. That's so right. I, I wondered too, like, to, when we, when, on the other side of our conversation here, when we do serve directly to culture, that seems to be almost another wall that, you know, if I were to go to the Korean church, which is my denomination which is my people but it's all in korean how do i fit in well with that well no i have to go to the white church so I, right, that's other right. people wondered about too yeah yeah I, you're making a, a fantastic point jesus says where two or three are gathered that means they're together right and being near is not the same as being with yeah so we we need to do better about that i understand the cultural convenience uh, because being an Adventist and going to church, if you're an immigrant, isn't just about going to church for theology. It's about going to church for something that is familiar for home. Um, so <clears throat> first generation immigrant who comes over here um, has to work in dominant culture their whole uh, week, um, having to maybe uh, code switch or having to uh, be a certain way. But when they get to go to church, that's the one familiar thing they get from home. So that that I want to just recognize as one of the things that church can do, and it's beautiful and it's powerful. However, <clears throat> because we have prioritized it so much, we have created small, we have not small, but we have created churches all over the place. So we can say we are we can say we're a diverse denomination, but that doesn't necessarily make us a diverse church. Yeah. And, and, and that's where the problem in lies. Uh, now, um, here in the U S we've got, um, uh, region conf regional conferences. Those are conferences that are African American churches. Uh, I think that's east of the Mississippi and south here in the West coast. We don't, but we still have ways that we go about that. So, you know, there are churches. There's, there's a, a beautiful, amazing, majestic, large, two large black churches that aren't too far away from here. And um, shame on us that in, in the early, early days, when, when we need, when people needed a church, we had to say, go to that church. Cause it's more for you as opposed to saying, come to this church. Cause together we're better for it. Right. So I, I don't, 
I'm not blaming anyone for that. I that is just human history and and the way that the lines have been drawn and the and the injustices that's happened to many people that they've needed a a, a cultural church, a space where um, they were cared for. Now, on the back end of that, what's problematic is that um, then we create cultural spaces that we love so much that we'd not we'd rather not give up on that um, because it feels good to be together for being together, not near, but being with each other. Uh, that that's that's a tough issue. But if we're going to be united, we've got to find ways to sit and eat together, to pray together, to uh, learn from each other. I know here in the U.S., I don't know about up there, but in the U.S., like, <clears throat> I don't know that it's said out loud, but white church, white academics is seen as very high. Sometimes ethnic churches are seen as secondary or not quite as, right? Um, and, and that's problematic because what we're suggesting is that there's a group of people who are more sacred or more learned or more knowledgeable um, and, and, and or more aware, and that makes them better somehow, as opposed to us being together and learning from each other, learning from each other's cultural styles. Um, how, do, how do I, as a white person, learn from my Tongan pastor? How do, how do I, as a Tongan, learn from my African-American pastor? How do I, as, as Asian, learn from my Hispanic families? Doing this stuff, that's hard, but I think that's what we're called to do. Yeah, and that can be very hard, especially when you have an option just to go to a different church down the street, right? Super convenient, super easy. Yeah, I know you, what we like. When you can go shirt, church shopping in your own denomination, for whoever has the best food and whoever the best music and those things too. Right. And then, you know, and you bring up a good point as well that I wanted to pick your brain a little more on, on is when you are a leader, church leader, Tongan, African, and you come to a church that is very different culture than yours. Cause I've seen that too, where um, one example that spe- speaks into my mind is we had where I grew up a, a gentleman born and raised in Africa, did his theology in Africa, or I even think he might have gone to the Philippines, mm. come to our town and just not connect at all because, you know, he's coming from a very a little more conservative and yeah. you know, our church. I, I don't really like the word liberal and all that, but, you know, and that was part of the disconnect is, you know, we the church was trying to reach out to him and understand him, but it's like, okay, as a leader, how do you, you know, how does a Tongan or African or non-white pastor reach out to those white people that need to be told what to do? <laughs> this is all very interesting. I mean, and it's like a ball of yarn that's all connected yeah. <laughs> because when you think about it, uh, in Adventism, at least, I don't know if in in in, in evangelical Christianity, maybe, but in but Adventism, we relate worship style with theology so that if you have a guitar, apparently your church is a, a liberal church. And if you have an organ, somehow your church is a, a conservative church. Um, if we look outside into the greater Christian world beyond evangelicalism, um, some of the most progressive Christians are the ones who sit in liturgical services. 
And some of our more conservative theological spaces, our evangelical churches are these, you know, big mega churches that are playing like, ah, you know, with their guitars and their full on band in production. Um, and, but in Adventism, if you have non-organ music, you're leaning progressive or liberal. And if you have an organ, all of a sudden you are the true traditional service, right? Um, so if we moved away from that model and we looked at what does it mean for us to be uh, literal fundamentalists or what does it mean for us to live in the spirit of the word? Then even that begins to shift for us because we can play the organ. We can enjoy hymns, which is funny because like as Tongans, we have our own little hymn book and it's got all the hymns, but in Tongan. Oh, nice. So like, I love hymns, man. I love it. Like, I could I I could almost every uh, major hymn song hymnal out there I can sing verbatim. I don't need I don't need the words. Um but also I love praise worship music and I love gospel music. And my my last church that I was at for over a decade and a half, we did we did mainly gospel fusion, right? So coming here over to La University Church, though it wasn't hymnals, uh, which people might have thought like, oh, if we have hymnals, Pastor Ricky won't know them. It's actually the music that they were doing here that I had to relearn because I hadn't been singing some of the songs that they do here, right? And so I kind of had to like fake the funk in the beginning. The first couple months, I was like up there and they were singing. I was like, I don't know what's happening, but I'm just going to, yes, praise the Lord about it. <laughs> and and uh, my wife says, she says, uh, bro, how come you're like, you know, like, do you know those songs? I was like, no. She said, you're faking? I said, yes. She's like, why? Don't you want them to change? I said, no, that's not the point. M music is not the point. When we make music um, or worship style the point, we've lost the point. The point mm -hmm. of communities. You don't go to a family and all of them listen to the same music. That's not the point. A family unit is really about the love and the relational building that we do. And what are we going to do together as a family? That's what church is about, man. Um, it's not about worship preference uh, or whether you like one thing or not. It's about whether we come into a common space, listen to the word of God, and move in the actions of Jesus. That's That's it. That's it. So what we really need to do, we all really need to mature enough to be like, I'm going to sacrifice my favorite kind of praise worship so that others in my larger community may be able to feel the spirit of God that's happening here. If we all did that, then the community, I think, would be better off and we could do rap one day. We could do folk praise one day. We can do hymns. We can, we can flex across the spectrum and everybody is on board because it's not about the music. Yeah, I don't know if there's a better way to end than the reinvigoration of the, the very spirit that calls mm. us mm. To, to look beyond the worship style, the language. I mean, I remember going to a church just recently and they posted the, the scriptural text in, it was English, Spanish, and I think Russian. Mm. And I was like, when do we st when do they this start happening? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but as you hinted, you know, the 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 dominant or the historical piece has been the white higher education, has been English, right? And so yeah. it's the learning of on one side speaking up and honoring your traditions, your Tonganess, but then on the other side is allowing that space and that could be hard because yeah. relearning is harder than learning. <laughs> Yeah, yes, truth, truth, bro.
Yeah. But you know what the curse was at the Tower of Babel? The curse came because the people were homogenous. They weren't going out and multiplying. They were all there together. I mean, that Babel wasn't ever going to reach God. We all know that today, modernly. They were going to die once they hit the ozone layer, <laughs> right? So God wasn't stopping them because they were going to reach God. God was stopping them because they were going to destroy themselves because they were all together unified, not united. Yeah, I think that speaks exactly to it is Adventism and maybe Christianity too is in a stretching point where we have been united and unified and now we're starting to realize we have to be on the more unified side i mean on the more united side of it because it was you know very straightforward being american adventists and then you know that kind of european sense that you talked about the beginning that was the standard i think that's being stretched and challenged and it, it can be hard because you meet meet somebody that's been living their life for eighty some years in a certain way, and you tell them, "Oh, by the way, we're not going to be doing this in English anymore." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yes, you are right. Right. I mean, yeah, that can that, and I, I want to honor you know the, those people that do have a hard time because you know, the education, the society that they came out of can be difficult. Absolutely, we've got to have a lot of grace for each other. Just like that song I mentioned in the beginning, right? In this very room, there's quite enough love for all of us. There's enough space for all of us here. Excellent. Well, thank you for bringing us on this journey and for sharing some of your struggles and points of view. It's been great having you here, Matt. Thanks, my bro. It has been good to be together. Thanks again for listening to this episode of our podcast. As we end, I'd like to acknowledge that these conversations are recorded on the ancestral and unceded territory of the Stolo Nation. With a big special thanks to our executive producer, Alexander Carpenter, our editor, Bryce Hallock, and to our creative team. We have Brittany May with logo design and Jared Jameson on audio. Also, a big shout out to our Spectrum friends over in New York City for their continued support of this program. Thanks.